Hello, and welcome to the Nonprofit Radio Show, a podcast for small nonprofits. If you feel in the dark about how to run a nonprofit, sunshine is on its way. I'm Sarah Brooks, and I'm super excited today to be joined by my nonprofit friends, Nancy Bacon and Joanne Crabtree. And this week, we will be talking about how to fundraise in these very uncertain times. I'm gonna be the first one to admit that though I've been fundraising for more than 20 years, I have never lived through anything quite like this coronavirus pandemic and the resulting economic crisis. And I have found myself over the last few days in a sort of panic fundraising mode, literally chasing ideas around and not feeling like I'm getting anything productive done. I've been trying to remind myself to breathe and to get back to what I know are the basic fundraising fundamentals that I believe in and that have always guided my work. I'm inviting you today to spend a few minutes with us getting back to some of those fundraising basics. Sarah, I'm really glad we're talking about this because I think it's hard to know what to do. One of the dear friends of mine who's a fundraising person, just she called me last week and said, I just don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, that these are such uncertain times. So I'm glad we're talking about this because I think it's what's on a lot of people's minds. Absolutely. And, you know, this repeating this phrase that I've said in my head numerous times this week of I just don't quite know what to do reminds me of what I first felt like when I was first given the task to be a fundraiser. Um, And I don't, I think I had a similar path to a lot of people, which is I, I didn't ever think in the fourth grade that that would be my job. I fell into it by mistake and I certainly did not know what to do when I started. And I realized early on that my impressions of what fundraising was and is um, were based in things like used car salesmen and arm twisting and bullying people into giving, tricking them into giving. And I had some incredibly wise early mentors who helped me reframe my thinking. And I've been going back to their voices in my head quite a bit these last couple of weeks. They really encouraged me to flip my thinking about fundraising. I, I started off being really focused on how awkward it felt to be the asker. To ask someone for money is, you know, right up there with talking about religion and politics. We're not supposed to do that. And my mentors encouraged me early on to think about it instead from the donor's perspective of of how good it can feel to be invited to belong to a group of people addressing an issue that you hold close to your heart. And as soon as I sort of started thinking in my own head of giving as an invitation to help, and giving and asking as an attempt to belong to a solution, it totally changed the way I see everything and it became one of the most basic fundraising fundamentals I know. So I've been going back to that a lot in the last two weeks and I've come up with two key tips that I think grow from this idea of flipping your thinking about fundraising to providing an invitation to a donor to belong. So first, if you treat every donor like someone who belongs to your team, you see them a little differently and you communicate with them differently. Remember, donors give to you because they share your values and they want to change the game for your mission. They see themselves as being on your team. Whether they give a little or a lot, and it's especially important to acknowledge right now whether they can give at this moment or whether they cannot give at this moment. You have to respect and appreciate them for all they've already made possible for your mission. 
also really important if you see donors as belonging to your team that you recognize they want to know what your game plan is. They want to know how you're responding. They want to know what's challenging you, what's keeping you up at night, and they want to know about the innovative ways you're facing the challenges you have head on. And that's true whether your mission is on the front lines of this current moment, so if you're a direct service provider in public health or social services, or whether your mission is slightly removed from the direct lines, perhaps you're an arts organization or an environmental group, your donors belonging to your team want to know how you're responding. Now may or may not be the right time to ask those folks for money, but it is most definitely not the time to be silent with them. You must be communicating with the people on your team. Second, when you start to think about giving as this way to belong to a bigger solution, you recognize that your donors are also there to help you solve problems, not just to give you funding. This is an excellent moment to ask donors for advice. I was called this week by a small nonprofit organization in Washington State who gets most of their funding from a gala fundraising auction that was supposed to happen sometime in mid-April. The timing is not at all right for that gathering and they recognized right away that they'd need to cancel and postpone the event. What they weren't sure is what do they do in the meantime? Do they try to raise the money that they would have raised at the event in some other way? Do they wait, hoping they can have the event later? Or do they wait and realize they'll need to do their asking sometime much later in the calendar year? They just weren't sure what to do. And to be totally honest, I don't know the right answer for what they should do. But I do know the right thing they can do is to reach out. So three, four, or five of those donors who are faithful supporters of what they do, who love that event and come every year, and ask them to be a part of thinking through the solution. Donors love an opportunity to help. That's why they give to you. And sometimes it is more powerful to ask them to help you think through something than to help you fund something. I really like your focus on relationship because I think the hardest part of these times is not knowing how it's all going to turn out. And so I think we're all feeling a little lonely here working in our homes and, and that idea of building on that relationship when, when life is so uncertain. I think that's exactly the key point right now, Nancy. We are all feeling a little bit alone. And as a fundraiser, I think it's super important for you to realize that your donors are probably also feeling isolated and alone too. And there's nothing they would rather see right now than a little bit of sunshine from your mission. You know, this is the perfect moment if you're a theater organization, for example, to send a small clip if you have one from maybe a show you know someone liked and remind them, hey, it's, you know, the theater might be dark right now, but it's going to come back and remember these great times. You don't have to ask for money. You don't have to push anything, but you can remind them of what you do. And if you're on the front lines helping people, you know, sending a picture of, you know, your organization serving food or providing food options for people and saying, wow, look at what you make possible. Thank you. Is that little bit of hope and sunshine that I think your donors are also craving in the, in the same way that you are right now? Yeah, there's a group I, I support that works someplace else in the world and their Instagram feed is filled with pictures of beautiful children in happy times running through a beautiful part of the world. And I have to say, it does put a smile on my face. Even yeah. when I 
think, oh my gosh, what are we doing? And then I see those pictures of those children and I, I can't help but smile. Yep. So Sarah, what do you think about this idea that, you know, nonprofits live in a tension. We live in, in that tension point between being a business and being a community. And there are folks who are saying, you know, in these hard times, act more like a business, you know, lay off your staff, look at your finances and be a smart business person to make some hard decisions. There are certainly hard decisions, but do what you need to do to protect your reserves, your funding. If you're not able to serve people right now, then you sure shouldn't be paying your staff uh, to, to sit around and do nothing. Act like a business. How do you respond to those? So that's an excellent and deep question, Nancy. So I'm going to take it in a couple parts and you can remind me when I forget a part. I think, first of all, it's really important for you to think through how your staff can keep your mission alive for people at this time. That is, that is an essential function at this moment for every nonprofit organization is how can you remind people why what you do matters and why either you are so important right now to serve people or you're going to be so important later to help us process what's gone on in our world. So I think step one is to think through what you can do. It's not the same work as it has been in the past, but what can you do to be remain relevant and to help? Even providing those bright spots is, is helping at this point. Second, I think this question of how you handle the tension between a business and a nonprofit, you start with your board. Your board should be a representative group of people from your community, and you should be communicating with them virtually right now, looking hard at your finances and thinking creatively about what you can do. And your board may end up having more questions than answers. And that becomes a beautiful opportunity to reach out to some of your faithful donors, perhaps some who have experience running businesses or especially experience with financials, and ask them to dive in with you and to help give advice. It's really important to pick a couple of people who will, may have different opinions. So your board and you can hear different ideas, different approaches to it. And then it's incredibly important to get back in touch with those donors after you've made a decision for what's right for your organization and let them know your thinking that got them there. This can be one of the best insights you could have into how your donors think. And it may be the most impressive thing you do with them to show them how thoughtful and careful and analytical you've been about what you choose to do. I love that. I love just that focus on having a really well thought kind of leadership governance team, but then also building on those relationships. Right. And, you know, not every nonprofit has that strong leadership governance team built into them already, but an opportunity like this is when you can grow and make it. My organization, the environmental organization I work for in, in rural Eastern Washington has had in the last five years, numerous summers of absolutely devastating wildfires. And I will tell you that in 2014, when the first wildfire hit, our board functioned fine, but now functions at a completely different level because we were forced to have virtual meetings talking about real issues where real decisions had to be made in real time. And that group has coalesced and come together in a, in a really different way. And so I think if you're a nonprofit staff person or the board chair right now, this is an excellent time to think through how do we facilitate 
us growing in our skill as a leadership team, because that's what your mission needs right now. For sure. So Sarah, our word of the week is belonging. Why did you choose belonging? Hmm. Well, I chose it because I've been thinking about it a lot. I, I have been feeling alone a lot working at home, keep trying to find the right desk space in my house that's going to make it all feel great. And I I think I've tried out four of them, none of which I like. Um, And I think it's an isolating time for us. And when I start to get in that kind of dark, isolated space in my head, I've tried to return to thinking about all the groups and causes that I believe in and that I feel like I belong to. And, you know, so I, I think about the cross-country team I help coach. And I think about the Montessori school my daughter went to years ago and, and the sense of belonging I have to that place. And it gives me comfort to realize that there are groups of people doing amazing good things that are, I belong to, even though I can't be right there physically uh, with them. And then as I think about my work and fundraising, this week I finally feel like I got a little traction and it was when I kind of came back to, hey, there are people in my world who help make our work possible. Some of whom are major donors, some of whom are annual donors who've been giving for 15, 16 years. They belong to us and I should be reaching out to them and reminding them how important they are and how much they do belong to our team. So it's, it's where I kind of found my grounding. I love that. I love the word belonging because to me, I I think of that word a lot in the context of equity and inclusion. It's a word that reminds us of the lessons of survival and resilience that we can learn from so many other people from the native experience that teaches us ways to go back to the earth, the ways to think about community. I think about immigrants who have effaced tax on their way of life and come out the other end. And so we'll come out the other end of this as well. Belonging to me is a word of comfort, and we certainly need more comfort these days. Absolutely. (laughs) We might be sitting around in our pajama bottoms all day, but for some reason, it's that psychological comfort. (laughs) For me, two thoughts come to mind when we talk about belonging. One is how vulnerable it can feel to go to a funder and ask for their advice. Pointed out that funders want to help, and they want to be part of our missions and our impact. By inviting them to weigh in on our organization's challenges, we're expanding possibilities and building trust with them. We open ourselves up to whole new realms that we may not have even considered, all while building those oh-so-important relationships. The second thing is I believe the ability to receive graciously enhances belonging. The act of being a gracious receiver results in us being even more excited about having given the gift and made us feel even closer to that recipient. Being a gracious receiver comes from a place of worthiness, worthiness of our mission, worthiness of ourselves. You know, Joanne, that's such an important point. And I know, I I also know there are fundraisers out there who are a little panicked because if you're working remotely, you maybe can't send the tax receipt thank you note that you know you're supposed to send. And what I just want to leave you with is this notion of be human right now. You know, it's okay to send the email that says, wow, Nancy, I saw, you know, I I know you've made an online gift. I've seen that. I can't send you the thank you note I want to send you. So I'm just going to tell you, you made my day. 
I sent an email to one of our major donors, you know, that had more of an update on what we're able to do and some bright spots of things I want to thank them for, for making possible. And the donor wrote back and said, oh, thank you so much. It's so wonderful to hear of your thoughtful responses to things. And, and then they said something. I can't remember exactly how it went, but it was something like, we're hanging in there. I hope you're doing okay. And I wrote back and I said, oh, I have to be honest. You know, there are days that I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I'm sort of an extroverted person and working from home is hard. I find myself talking to the dog a lot. And they wrote back and said, well, that should be fine to talk to the dog as long as you don't feel like the dog is talking back. Um, and we <laughs> really wonderful human exchange, right? And it was very authentic and very real. And I appreciated it. And I, I think they appreciated the exchange. And on some level, it's 10 times better, all right, than the formal thank you note signed by all the right people. Um, so while none of us wish this upon ourselves and our, and our humanity, I think we can see if you kind of let a little bit of the guard down and let yourself be human with people, acknowledge what you can and can't do, you'll find you are creating an even bigger sense of belonging. So Sarah, we're coming up on the end of our time together. How would you sum up your guidance for folks on this topic of fundraising? <laughs> well, I think it's ongoing, so we hope you'll continue to listen to us because we'll keep this conversation going as long as we need to. But hopefully we shined a little bit of sunlight to get you at least feeling like you can find your footing to get started to think about fundraising in this uncertain time. Completely understand it's easy to feel overwhelmed and to aimlessly hop from one fundraising tip to another. I think I must get 25 emails a day with experts telling me exactly what to do next. And I have learned to put those into a file and deal with them at a time when I feel like I can really read through them. Most importantly, though, I'm trying to go back to those basics of what I know. And if I could ask you to do anything this week, I hope everyone listening takes a moment and calls or emails, somehow reach out to three or four of your donors and ask for their advice. Thank them for what they're making possible. Share with them how you're responding and be vulnerable enough to share with them what you're struggling with and see if they don't have some suggestions. And I think you'll find that you've created this bigger circle of belonging. Giving and asking is a way into belonging. We feel like we've totally got this. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you'll share this episode of the Nonprofit Radio Show with your colleagues, friends, and family. Nonprofit Radio Show. Sunshine for small nonprofits. Tune in for our next episode on your favorite podcasting site or at nonprofitradioshow.com. Nonprofit Radio Show is hosted by Nancy Bacon, Sarah Brooks, and Joanne Crabtree. Music composed by Riley Crabtree.